Um, about uh, probably about six or maybe seven years ago, uh, Ellie and I had a friend, a very good friend, who uh, had done a lot of missions uh, work in Mexico and was interested in kind of starting this new sort of opportunity, kind of saw an opportunity for some ministry in Ensenada and, um, and was wanting to see if our church would kind of help him start this. And so he invited um, some friends and Ellie and I as well to come with them on sort of a like investigation trip where he could kind of communicate to us like, okay, so here's what I'm thinking we could do. Here's the people that we could work with. Here are the pastors that would support us, all these things. And, um, and so we got to go. So it was uh, just a few of us that got to go down on this trip. And um, we went down to Ensenada and what uh, this ministry was that he was wanting to start was basically um, a pastor, a local pastor there. His mom had been in the hospital for a long time and um, when he went to see her in the hospital, it turned out there was, no, uh, there was no waiting room in the hospital there in Ensenada. Um, it was just like the street, maybe like kind of a courtyard with some like bus benches, but other than that, it was just you had to go in the hospital, and people couldn't just come in the hospital, and they had to wait outside. And so while his mom was there um, in the hospital for several weeks, he slept in his car, and he realized, you know, man, there's a real opportunity here for uh, helping people who are traveling often from very far away to come to Ensenada to get any kind of like medical treatment. And some, it's just like, a, like, a, like an emergency room kind of visit. Others, it's like they're there for weeks. And, uh, and these people have nowhere to go. And so they don't even have a waiting room to sit in while they're waiting to get into the hospital. And so what this pastor started doing was going out and bringing food a couple days a week and just uh, praying for people and praying with them and preaching to them and, um, and feeding them and just getting to know them and hearing about what's going on. It turns out that people at the hospital are going through tough times oftentimes. And so it was actually a great opportunity to be able to talk with people about Jesus. Well, they had wanted to um, eventually build sort of a, a kind of a, like a Ronald McDonald house type thing somewhere nearby for people to be able to come and actually stay when their families are in the hospital. And that's what we were going to look at doing. So we went there and we kind of checked everything out, looked at the site and, you know, uh, met the pastors and everything and kind of looked at what, what it would take and then, of course, we went to, uh, to the hospital, and uh, every Saturday night, um, this pastor was bringing his church down. A lot of, they would go other days as well, but this was the, the night that they most consistently went. And, and so they said, yeah, you got to come with us. We'll go to the church. We'll make all the food, and then we'll just bring it to them, and we'll give it to people, and we'll give them food. We'll pray for them. We'll just see how they're doing, and we'll try to share the gospel with people. So, um, so we went and did this, and, um, and it was great. You know, we got to hand out food to people, and, um, you know, there's a language barrier issue. I don't speak Spanish, and, um, and it's missions work. And so when you go on a missions trip, you kind of know everything's going to be uncomfortable, but I'm a lot more open to that because it's a missions trip, okay? I'll walk up to strangers, you know, in Mexico because I'm on a missions trip, and, and, and there's a language barrier to begin with, so it's already kind of awkward. And also, I don't really know who's normal and who's not, so, like, I just kind of, it's, everybody's the same for me because it's a different culture, and I can't really tell, you know, whereas here in the States, I'm very good at knowing, like, the people I want to talk to, the people I don't want to talk to, the people I'm like, you get away from me right now, and the people, you know. So, anyway, uh, although nowadays, you know, we're all telling everyone to get away from us, but... Um, so we're there and we're uh, kind of, you know, giving things to people. And so I'm with Justin, my friend, the guy who's kind of leading the whole thing. And uh, this guy comes up to us and we give him um, some food and we, we say, you know, how are you? Can we, you know, can we, can we tell you a little bit about Jesus is like what my friend Justin would say to him. And I'm like literally standing there 
And the, the idea was if I wanted to say something, he would translate it for me to this guy, and he would translate for me what the guy's saying. And he was like translating everything the guy said kind of anyway for my sake. And this guy's name was Angel, and he came up, and he seemed a little off, but at the same time, again, I don't really know because I don't even speak the same language as him. And for all I know, this guy could be the most normal guy. And so uh, we're talking, and he, he, says, uh, he says yes. He kind of tells us why he's there. I'm not really understanding clearly why he's there. There's always the, 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 you know, the huge risk. I mean, talk about like a huge, there's always a huge risk that, that homeless people might find out about this and might come and, and have some of the food as well. And, uh, and, and they chose to not, you know, like push them out of the way and say, get out of here. This food's only for these people. Chose to welcome them in. Um, but, uh, but I was kind of thinking to myself, like, I don't even know if this guy's really here for the hospital. Maybe this guy's just here for the hot dogs. I can't believe it, right? And so he, he's talking to us. He's telling us his story. I'm not really getting it. I'm like, this sounds a little bit weird to me. This sounds kind of strange, you know. I'm very, I'm very in the know on medical stuff. I, like, do a lot of internet research whenever I get sick. And so I know, like, what causes what. Um, and... Uh, and so I, I know what I'm talking about here. Eventually, the guy says, uh, he's, my, my friend Justin, he's translating. He says, okay, Angel says uh, that he, uh, he does want to talk to us, but he, he's uncomfortable talking to us here. He wants to know if we could talk somewhere more private. And I was like, he, and, he, and so Justin says, okay, yeah, sure. And so he says he wants to know if we could just maybe talk over here, maybe more on the street, you know, so we go more to the street, you know, where there's, like, nobody that close. And as we go, he says, oh, okay, uh, Angel says he's not comfortable here. He says he wants to know if we can just go over here and talk to him um, in, in his van. And, um, and, and so he just is talking to the guy, and he says yes and just starts walking. And so I go with him. And as we start walking across the street um, to Angel's van, um, which is um, just whatever you think of when you think scariest type of van that it could be, that's the kind of van it is, okay? Uh, for all of us, that can be different. Um, he, for some of you, maybe minivan scary, because you're like, I hope I never get to that point, you know, I don't know. But he, we, we see the van, and, and, I, and we start walking across the street, and, and, I, and I go, in my mind, I go, so this is it? This is how I die? Like, this is how my life's going to end? I never would have thought that it would be me being murdered um, in someone's van um, in, uh, in Ensenada um, on this trip. You know, I just thought, man, that's crazy. Um, and as we're walking to the van, I'm thinking, I don't want to get murdered on this trip. In fact, I don't even know why I'm here. What am I doing here? What is this? What's happening? How have I found myself in this position? And I'm realizing also, like, like I'm, I'm feeling really close with Justin. I'm feeling like, wow, we're both going to go together. Like, that's crazy. Like, I never would have thought when I met this guy that, that, that you know, that we would, we would go together. You know, maybe our families will kind of join, you know, and, and you'll know, support each other. I'm thinking all these things in my mind, really playing this out very dramatically. There was a lot of uh, reason why I didn't want to go to this guy's van. We, we go to the van, and as we're getting there, uh, he, he opens the door, and we're talking kind of, he wants to open the door, just kind of talk, you know, there by the van, and then he wants us to see the inside of his van, you know, and, um, and, and he's like, you know, because he's done a lot of work to it, I guess, and he's like, so I want you guys to see the inside of it. I'm like, yeah, see, this is, you know, this scene in the movie where you're like, come on, man, don't go in there, like, you, you know better than that, right? Um, and, and I do know better, but, you know, we're also on a missions trip, and we had been praying a lot for opportunities and, you know, for traveling mercies. So we, I had traveling mercies, so that should cover me for some of this extra stuff. It was a van. They probably covered that, too. And, and so, like, I'm even thinking to myself, like, I, we had just gotten a... Um, 
we had just gotten the kind of the notification or, or well basically we'd been matched up with our son Tegan to adopt him from Ethiopia and we were like a, a, two weeks after we got back from this trip we were going to go there we we're going to bring him home so I'm thinking like man I have a lot that I would like to live for right now this would not be a great time for me to get murdered in a van even if it's with Justin who I do really like and I'm starting to think you know that would he would be one of the people I'd probably want to go with you know if I was going to have to go with anybody and and I'm thinking all these things that I'm talking I'm looking at Justin I'm kind of talking to him I'm like Justin we're not going to get in the van are we and he's like well I'm going to try not to but the guy's really like you know he's like you know in this you know I'm afraid he's going to say in this culture when someone invites you into their van you have to go into their van you know but he doesn't say that he just says you know Angel why don't we just yeah, yeah, it looks really nice. I really like what you did there. Why don't we just talk out here? Why don't we talk out here? And so we talked to Angel for a while, and then we, uh, and then we eventually, like, leave. And that's kind of the end of our interaction with Angel. And, um, we, and we prayed with him, and we prayed for his family who was in the hospital. And we went back, and, uh, and, and Ellie was there with Justin's wife, Veronica. And, um, they, uh, and Veronica was like, what were you guys doing? I, I totally figured you guys were going to get murdered, you know, as soon as you started walking towards that guy's van. I was like, oh, they're going to get murdered, you know. Um, and I was like, okay, well, thanks. You know, thanks for helping us. Um, when, when, it was funny, when, when this happens to me, and I, and I find myself in this situation where I'm like, this is, how did I even get here, right? How did I even get to this point here? Why am I doing this? I would never do this at home. I would never do this. I would never, like, most of these things I'm doing. But there's something about when you go on a missions trip and you get out of your comfort zone that you're just like, oh, I can do all of these different things, right? And so, you know, literally, I think youth pastors just like, throw anything they can into a missions trip sometimes just because they're like, hey, you know, they'll probably do it. It's a missions trip, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, like, ask the parent what's their biggest fear. We'll try to overcome that or something because we're on a missions trip, and maybe they will. But we, we as, I, as I'm thinking that, I'm going, uh, I, I, I keep going back to that experience as we're, like, wrapping up the series in Acts. As I keep looking back on Acts and as I keep thinking, how is it that, um, that I, um, at, at that time, a pastor who's there looking at these opportunities for missions and, um, and, and with this desire to share the gospel with people, how is it that I uh, am, am basically trying to do the same thing that someone like Paul did, and yet the more I read about what Paul does, the more I'm like, that doesn't look anything like the way that I approach my life. That doesn't look anything like the things that I do and often the way that I live. In fact, uh, when I find myself in a situation and even starts to get close to some of the situations that Paul's in, I immediately start to go, no, wait a second, hold on. This is crazy. This is nuts. Nobody should be doing this. We shouldn't be doing this, right? There's this difficulty uh, in the huge disconnect between uh, the way that we, uh, that we see people living in the Bible, who are followers of Jesus, and, um, and our own lives. And it's not just because it's like, oh, they care about it more than we do, but uh, we don't exactly know why it's so incredibly different. Because we can look at these things, and, 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 and honestly, we, we say, would I live my life the way that Paul does? Would I take these opportunities the way that Paul does? You know, is he just, is he just presented with a lot better opportunities to, you know, share Jesus with people and live for him. And Paul is a full-time 
missionary, right? He's, a, he's, he's devoted his entire life to people hearing the gospel. And we, we go, if you've been a Christian at all for any period of time, you go, you know, I should be devoted to people hearing the gospel. Maybe it doesn't mean me being a full-time missionary. Maybe it does. But I should be devoted to that thing. I want that thing for the people in my life, the people around me. And yet, I don't know that what I read about in Acts seems very appealing to me, if that makes sense. Um, You know, when when we talk about Acts and we compare it to other parts of the New Testament, like the Gospels, there's this huge disconnect. Because I I think most of us would say, yeah, I think I'd go for the Gospels rather than Acts, right? If I had to be, if I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want to live a certain way, sign me up for the Gospels. Sign me up for, you get to be Jesus's disciple, you get to walk around with him, right? You get time with him. And, and uh, you know, I'm pretty sure the reason that Jesus got up early, uh, so early to go away oftentimes to be with the Lord was because he went to bed early. And I'm pretty sure the reason he went to bed early was because, like, every apostle is probably trying to, like, be the last one awake. And then when everyone goes to sleep and everything's quiet, they just kind of, like, pretend, like, oh, look, I happen to get up. And, hey, Jesus, while you're here and we're sitting here by the fire talking and it's just you and me, what do you think about me, you know? I mean, how often do you think if you're one of the disciples, you're not trying to constantly be like, yeah, Jesus, isn't this crazy? This is like crazy. Anyway, now that it's just you and me here, uh, you know, how do you feel about me? And, you know, is there anything you want to tell me? And what do you think about me? And uh, is there anything I can work on? Or, you know, how do you feel? I mean, uh, if nothing else, uh, we often think about, you know, the things that Jesus maybe could, could tell us that could make us better, the, the ways that we could be, uh, be more uh, pleasing to God. Um, and, and often, we don't even think about the possibility, like, what would it be like if, if you were with Jesus, walking with him, following him, and, uh, and you were like, Jesus, what do you think about me? And he was like, I think you're fine, you know? I think, I think you need to relax. I think you need to understand God's grace a little bit more in your life. Man, what would that even be like, right? Uh, that, that's like the last thing any of us would expect. When we think about being a follower of Jesus, and you think about the way the disciples follow Jesus, you go, I could do that. I mean, they gave up a lot, but I could also see the appeal of that life. I mean, he's God in the flesh. These people got to live in the midst of the incarnate God himself. They got to see him work and see his miracles, and he spoke into their lives, and he clearly impacted them. He clearly changed them, so much so that they would ultimately devote their lives to his service and his gospel afterwards. But when you look at Acts and you read about what happens to those guys, when they become apostles, when the church begins, then I think it's a little bit easier to go, I'm not sure that I'd sign up for that. I'm not sure that I would uh, be quite as, as willing to do what those guys want to do. And that's one of the challenges of this. Is starting week one, as we've gone through Acts for eight months now, as we've gone through Acts, starting in week one, you see this, uh, this, these two things happening simultaneously. One uh, is, that, is that these, uh, these guys are being pushed and called to do really difficult things. And yet, on the other hand, you also see right next to that every time that the Holy Spirit is there, actually being the one to empower the things they're doing. So it's not, um, it's, it's not I can't do this, that, stops, that would stop them. It's not, I'm not capable of doing this, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not eloquent enough. That's not the thing that would stop someone from being a good apostle, because the Holy Spirit's the one that makes 
everything work out in the end that empowers the things they do. It's the willingness to go and do it. It's simply saying, I'm willing to go. There's something about what has happened to these, uh, to these church leaders. Something about their interaction with Jesus, their encounter with Jesus, with the Lord himself, that has changed them so much that they have said, I'm willing to go. Because that's what seems to set them apart. And I think that it's thinking about, man, what would it be like to have some kind of an encounter with God that would change me so much that I would actually be in that same place. Because I, I say this, and this might seem like a very cynical way to approach this. You might be like, what are you talking about? I would love to do what's in Acts here, right? But I, I say that because most of us, I think, look at what happens in, in a book like Acts, and we think, I don't know that that's the life that I would want. I, I, I mean, the shipwreck thing sounded kind of exciting. He got to live on an island for Malta. Like, Italy's supposed to be nice. But other than that, I'm not sure that I would want what it is that Paul had, the life that he had, the life that these other apostles and disciples had. What we have to understand as we walk away from Acts is what it is that was the, the catalyst for all of this. And the catalyst for all of this was the gospel itself. There's something about the good news of the gospel, the gospel itself, the message of the gospel, the power it has to transform and empower and do things, there's something about that that, that changes these people and makes them different. What does the gospel do is the question that we have to ask. What exactly does the gospel do? And we see in Acts what the gospel does. We saw in, um, in the, the gospels themselves. But what we get to see in Acts is what happens even further down the road. So we get an even better picture of what happens when the gospel comes alive in a person's life. They're truly changed by it. They're truly, um, they're truly living in the power of that thing. And what we see in Acts more than anything else is we see what the gospel does in the lives of people over time. And the question that we ask then is, is if we see what the gospel does, then the question is, do I see that? in my life? Do I see that in me and in my life? And if I don't, then, then the question becomes, um, how much is the gospel a part of my life and even my relationship with God? As we saw from the people that Jesus encountered and had the most frustration with, it is often those who would say, my whole life is about God, who would also be the ones that seem to understand the gospel least. And so a person could even be familiar with God as a concept, as a person, the idea of religion, and still miss the gospel and therefore not be changed enough by that thing to live the way that Paul did, the way that these guys did. The first thing that the gospel does is this. The gospel changes us completely. The gospel changes who we are fully and completely and comprehensively. 
Now, we uh, understand the concept of being born again, of, of having a new life in Jesus, and that is such an appealing thing to people whose lives are kind of a wreck or, or maybe say, I need a fresh start, I want a fresh start, I don't like my life the way that it is. But the hardest thing that we see in the Bible when it comes to the gospel and other people is when people like their life and they come into contact with the gospel. When you like who you are, and you like the circumstances of your life, and you like the way that things are going, and then along comes Jesus, be careful what you ask him, because he's going to get right to the heart of you. And the point of, of, of his message, of his gospel, of his ministry, wasn't just, believe it or not, to make happy people sad, and to make sad people happy. It wasn't just to find you on your best day and be like, oh, I can change that. I can make you feel bad about yourself. No, it was instead to show people the true thing that gives life, which is God himself and the message of salvation through Jesus. And if something else was giving you life, then yes, this became a threat to that thing. And it got scary. It got uncomfortable. You realize there was this death that needed to happen in your life, this death to yourself. You had to die to yourself. So the gospel, what it does in the life of a person, the good news is it changes them. And we see that throughout the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see that in what happens to Paul on the road to Damascus here in Acts. We see that in what happens to Jewish people, to Gentiles. We see that in what happens to sinners and to the, the most religious. We see people change. And that's because the gospel changes us completely. Now, the problem for a lot of us is that it doesn't change us a little bit and then stop. The more that you live your life in the power of the gospel, as Paul says later on in, there, in some of the letters that he writes to the churches, as he says, the gospel is something on which we stand, um, in which we live, on which we, we look, even look forward to living in. The gospel is about my past, my present, and my future. It, it changes me. It changed me before. It changes me today, and it will continue to change me tomorrow. The gospel will change me completely. The good news of Jesus being life, the good news of God's grace in my life, the good news of his free gift of salvation, the good news of the fact that it doesn't matter what I've done, and also that there's nothing I can do to prove that I don't need this thing. Nothing I can do to prove that I'm, not, I'm one of the ones that probably doesn't need the gospel, that I can get by without it, that I'm good enough and that I've done enough. The gospel will continue to reveal in us the things that need to be changed by it, the ways that we need to keep trusting in Jesus. I mean, I mean the longer that a person follows Jesus as one of his disciples, it can often feel like the harder it gets to, uh, to, to be changed by the gospel because you have to first be teachable. You have to recognize that you're not finished yet. You're not completed yet. We saw this throughout uh, Acts with these men themselves who went forward with this message. We saw them having to change the way that they looked at people. 
having to change uh, the priorities in their lives, having to change the standard by which they lived, having to change so many things. And the gospel doesn't change us because we're so bad that we need to constantly be hating ourselves and not be who we are anymore. The gospel doesn't change us because God looks at us and says, I don't like you. You need to be totally different. The gospel changes us because sin has, has affected every part um, of our lives. It has kind of invaded each part of our lives. There isn't any part of my life that has been sort of kept safe from the effects of sin. And so the gospel keeps changing me because as those things keep coming up, I keep trying to decide, is it good works that, that will help me get past this thing? Is it lowering the standard of what God uh, commands and expects? You know, do I get to hold this thing back for myself? Do I get to close off this part of my heart or my brain? And the gospel, the good news of Jesus, continues to reveal those things, if we're open to it, and change us. So if the gospel is, is a part of my life, the good news of Jesus, if it, is, if, it is, uh, if it is a part of my life, then it will be changing me. If the gospel is a part of your life today, if you're living your life in the power of the gospel and not something else, then it's changing you today. Then there, is, then there are things in you that are being changed and transformed because the gospel is alive and at work within you. This is what it does. It changes us completely. The other thing that the gospel does, and I'm very familiar with this concept, the gospel gets restless sitting still. I don't like to be still. I don't like to sit still. My wife can tell you this. I don't find it relaxing to just sit still, to just stand still. Uh, the way that I relax is by doing things. I also have little kids. And one of the things that I've learned with uh, my little kids is that it can be kind of exhausting to be around people that get restless sitting still. Uh, because uh, you want to sit still. And they don't want to. Uh, my, my kids uh, will sit still for uh, a little while, and then they will get restless. Now, now, you might hear this, and you might be like, no, man, I love sitting still. I love being still. I love doing nothing. I love just hanging out and just being there. I can't imagine that feeling of getting restless just because you're sitting still in one place. But the gospel, the message of Jesus, is not one that is intended to just sit within your heart and within your life. And so the gospel within you, within your life, will grow restless and must be shared and must be given out and must be given away and must be brought forth to someone else. If you don't, then you won't experience the gospel in the way that you're intended to. That will literally limit the way that the gospel can change you. One of the biggest ways, probably arguably the biggest way, that the, that the, that the people in the church fail to experience the changing power of the gospel is by not going forth with the gospel and bringing it into the lives of other people, right? We don't understand this fundamentally in our brains because the way we think is when I get something and it helps me and it, and it does something good for me, then if I keep it and if I hold it and if I enjoy it and if I use it, then it will make my life better, right? 
How many things make your life better when you give them away? I don't care how much people say generosity feels good. Those people probably have too much money, right? And so they can be generous and it feels good because then they still have air conditioning at the end of the day on the hottest day of the year, right? It's, it's, it's easy to say it feels good to give certain things away on some level, but the fact is that doesn't really make sense to us. People who think, no, if I want to enjoy something, if I want to get the benefit of it, I keep it for myself. In fact, one of the hard things about growing up and becoming an adult is realizing that you have to give things away, and that means you won't be able to benefit from those things. That's why generosity is difficult for us. We say it's better to give than to receive, but I see this as I'm trying to teach it to my kids. They're like, no, it's not. Do I need to teach you stuff? Like, do I need to explain to you? Is this like a science lesson? Is this a math lesson? What does it need to be for me to break down and let you understand that it is not better to give than to receive? It is not uh, better uh, to give away. Uh, The more of my Halloween candy that I keep, the better it is for me. And so we, uh, we take the reality of Jesus in our lives And we only view it through the lens of what it gives us and what it does for us. We think, I need to work on me. This is about me. How does this help me? And yet the gospel won't accept that from us. The, The power of the gospel will not do that. It will grow restless within us. And what we will start to feel like is almost that, like, this thing is almost kind of like leaving us or abandoning us. Now, the gospel isn't leaving us or abandoning us, but it is kind of like one who has grown restless and is like, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and head out here. That if we want to actually experience the changing power of the gospel, then we recognize that it grows restless within us and we give it to others. The gospel must be shared. That's the reason these people do what they do in Acts. They don't do what they do out of obligation and guilt. They don't. How do you know? Because Paul is literally chained to a guard for two years in his home, and he's still preaching to anybody that he can. They do it because it brings them joy. And it brings them joy because they have realized that the gospel goes out. It must go out. And the more that they go to others with it, the more that they look at the people around them in their lives and say... You need the gospel, and I'm someone that will bring it to you. And yes, the way I'm talking about it, I'm not just talking about like the conversion saving power of the gospel. If if someone's not a Christian, they need the gospel. Then once they become a Christian, they don't need it anymore. Because the more we talk about this as a church, we talk about how it is easy for us to then still build our lives on these other things and to get away from the good news of the salvation of Jesus. The good news that Jesus is where life is found, not all these other things that we're now going to go try to do again. And so in the same way that the non-believer in my life needs the gospel to live, the believer in my life must continually be reminded of and be hearing the gospel. My children, my spouse, my coworkers, my friends, the people that work under me and over me, the people uh, in my family, my neighbors, the people in my community. These people need the gospel, and the gospel grows restless sitting still. It must go out. 
And so the more that these people experience the gospel, the more filled up they are and compelled to go out with it. They're not compelled to stay still, to sit. That means that ultimately a church that doesn't feel compelled to go out is a church that should be asking the question of why don't I feel compelled to do that? We talk about this in sending school when we, well, when we had sending school. We talked about uh, what it is that, 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 that leads to evangelism. And the first thing is a heart for the lost, the heart for the people. It is, it is, a, it is being changed by Jesus and having a heart for the lost. Because if you're just changed by Jesus and then you think this is for me, then you just keep it for yourself all the time. But what you'll find is what most people find. In fact, it's what everybody finds when they don't go out with the gospel with others. You know how many people I talk to in the church who feel disappointed with the relationship they have with God, the relationship they have with Jesus, with their spiritual life, who feel that they're on autopilot, who feel that there was a period of time when they grew a lot, and then that just kind of ended, and now they're just kind of not sure where they're at or what's going on, but it isn't the way that it was before. That's because the gospel grows restless and must go out. It isn't meant to be a self-improvement project for you and your closest friends and family, and then somehow you're just not on the right project. You're not on the right curriculum. You need to find the right material and stuff to do. This is like at the heart of of why we do this thing follow at our church, this, like, which is just an opportunity to sit down and talk with someone about their relationship with God. But the reason that we do this is because, um, is because that it is important that, that we recognize and have experience with this fact, the fact that, that I actually must get in the habit of speaking gospel truths to and for other people rather than just asking the question always of who's going to speak them to me and, and how is this something that is for me. These people realized that by reaching others with the gospel, they themselves would experience a fulfillment and a joy that nothing else in life brought. That's ultimately why they did what they did, and that's why they just kept going no matter what obstacles came up in the way. The other thing that the gospel does, the last thing the gospel does, is it dissolves our borders. The gospel dissolves our borders, and we are really good at putting up borders in our lives, but what the gospel does is as it draws us out, what it then begins to do is the desire to reach people with this and a love for Jesus makes the distinctions that we have that separate all of us less important than they were before. We see that in, uh, in Paul talking to uh, these Jewish people about not hearing what it is that he says. Um, he, he goes to them, and, and as Matt read, he quotes something out of Isaiah, um, and it's this. He says, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes... They have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And that is Paul um, in Acts talking to these Jewish people, these leaders, but it is a quotation from Isaiah 6. And so then we read, 
Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. This is what Paul says to the Jewish leaders. Why does he say this to them? Because he wants them to understand why this message has, has not just been saved for th- this one specific group of people. The thing is, Paul loves the Jewish people. It's where he starts everywhere he goes. He goes to them. He goes and finds them. He calls them to him. He goes to the temple. He cares about these people. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's his background. That's his history. He is knowledgeable, and he can speak their language. He understands their culture. He knows their objections. That's why he's constantly defending the gospel to them. I was thinking about this last night. I was thinking about how much Paul defends himself in Acts because I was thinking, like, isn't that not a good thing? Aren't, aren't we supposed to, like, not feel defensive? Aren't we supposed to just kind of, like, not worry about what people think about certain things in ourselves? And, and yet it's interesting that Paul spends a lot of time defending himself to the churches, to the Jewish people. Not just defending the gospel, but he's defending that as well. The reason he's doing that is because he knows what their objections are, because he's one of them, and he wants to speak to those things. Listen, we all have people in our lives that we care about more than other people. I know, right? That's crazy. But, well, maybe some of us, the, the bad ones do, the ones that haven't gotten, you know, really grown up yet or something. I don't know. There are people in our lives that we want to experience the joy found in Christ, that we want to experience the changing power of what we've experienced. And so, yes, it grows restless within us, and these are the first people that we think of. These are the people that are our families and our friends. These are the people that we are like, the people that we relate to, the people whose culture we understand. And, and the very thing that you see with these guys and the Jewish people is exactly what we do, right? We, we, we try to bring that message to people again and again and again. In fact, because um, our people are people in the church— and that's where we're also the most comfortable, then, then, then we spend a lot of time um, um, trying to communicate the gospel even to one another, right? We, we, we try to communicate about God to people who are quasi-religious, semi-religious, people who are like us in many ways, but maybe not fully like a Christian or something, because we think, you know, that's somebody that maybe will uh, go this far and will believe this thing. These are the people that I like. But what happens when the gospel is a part of our lives is that ultimately, especially if those people are calloused to what it is that we have to say, the gospel keeps us moving, and it begins to erode, dissolve the very borders that we put up in our lives that say, but I'm never going to go to them. I'm never going to go anywhere else. For most of us, there's just really one big border, and it is the border around the people that are close to us. So we basically go, I know I want those people to experience the gospel. But I haven't gotten to the point where I want really everybody else to. I don't really care about everybody else. That's why, again, we talk in sending school about having a heart for the lost. Because most people, when they're honest, would admit, I don't have a heart for the lost. I have a heart for my kids who are lost. I have a heart for my spouse who doesn't love Jesus. I have a heart for uh, my neighbors who I've grown close with or my parents who I wish so desperately would, would receive him and would understand the power found in him and the life found in him. 
But do I have a heart for strangers? No. Do I have a heart for the people that I think are messing up the world that I'm living in? No. But what happens is the gospel, as it continues to be a part of us and continues to change us, it does for us what we see doing with these people. Paul loved the Jewish people. But when they would not listen, when they would not see, he recognized that it was time for him to move on. And he didn't just do it and then never go back. For him and for Peter and for many others in the church, what we saw happen in Acts that was so absolutely incredible was they, they, they began to let these Gentile people in to their hearts and, and then they also still cared about the Jewish people. I mean, when, when, the, when, the, when the Gentiles uh, come to the leaders of the church and they say, hey, our widows aren't being, uh, aren't being taken care of in this distribution of food that's happening. What they're identifying is they're saying, you guys have set up a system here, and it works really well for, for you, the Jewish people. But you know what it doesn't work very well for is, is us, the, the Gentiles. So as long as you're the ones finding the, the widows that need that need the food, that need the money, then it's never going to be quite even. And so what the leaders of the church do, and we said back then that what they did was so incredibly unusual, they said, you know what then? You guys should also be in charge of dispersing this stuff. The only way that we are really going to be able to be a church that is for you and not just for us is if we empower you as well. To do that. There's just no way that we're going to be able to see those needs like you do. The reason this happened was because the boundaries themselves are being dissolved. He says to them, your eyes are closed, you're blind. He says to them, your ears are closed, you are deaf, you cannot hear. And what we see is that ultimately what happens is, is that the gospel, it continues to dissolve these borders around us. For a lot of us, what we need to hear today is that God is calling us out beyond just the people that we have put within this sort of bordered area of our lives that we want God's best for. Like, even just think about it this way. I want the joy found in Christ. I want, I want God's power. I want the kingdom of God to include these people. That is not a hard thing for us to feel about the people that are close to us, the people that we like, the people that our heart break for. And the truth is that there are many here who have people that you've been praying for and you've been trying to reach out to and you've been trying to share the gospel with and they have just been totally calloused and resilient and they have totally rejected it. And the answer is not to give up on those people, but the answer is to go even further than them. We are not told to give up and we see that again. We see as Paul continues to defend the gospel to anyone that he can, all the way to his death. But we're told to go further and include other people. That's the part that we're generally pretty bad at doing. I think if anything, what we experience more is we either abandon the group that we're a part of and all the people that are around us and close to us. And we just go to someone completely different. Or uh, we might say, um, that, no, these people that God's put in my life, these are the people he obviously has given me a heart for. He'll give someone else a heart for those, those people. He'll give someone else a heart for the people outside of my family, the people outside of my circle, the people on the other side of the aisle, 
whether literally at church or figuratively in our government and in our country. I mean, the one, one of the things that comes out the clearest each election, it seems, is that we seem almost perfectly evenly divided as a nation, that half of us see the other half as wanting the opposite of what we want. And if that border remains up in our lives, like it does in the lives of people who don't know Christ, then there is no way that the gospel is working within us in the way that the gospel is meant to. I say all of this because ultimately, I think it's so easy for us to see the way that people live for Jesus and to say, yeah, I know I should probably want that. I should probably be doing that, but I don't, but I'm not. And it feels so far from the way that we live and the things that we do. And maybe we even find ourselves in some of those situations that, that they're in, and then we just immediately like run away or close down or shut down or say, no way, no way, not me. Maybe it's because of the circumstances of our life. Maybe it's just because that's what we do. It's so easy to then think, well, okay, I feel guilty. I feel bad. I feel like God wants me to do those things. But, but, but we aren't called to go do those things out of guilt and out of obligation, out of compulsion, because we know we should. Those things are what happen in the life of a person who is changed by the gospel. It just keeps on changing you. It changes you so much that it makes you restless. And if you don't feel restless at all with this message of the gospel, then the question is, God, why don't I feel restless with this, question, with this gospel that is in my life? God, why do I feel perfectly content just having it here with me and maybe my family? And maybe for some of us, um, as the gospel has changed us, we've kind of hit this point where we've just refused to go beyond the people that we like, that matter to us personally, the people that we've been praying for and working towards knowing Jesus for so many years. And maybe that's where the gospel has stopped changing us because we've stopped letting it. And our prayer needs to be, God, would you, call, would, you, would you change my heart? Would you change me in this new way so that rather than feel guilty and obligated, that, that, this, that maybe even this person or this group of people that I can't stand, that you would begin to give me compassion, that you would begin to give me a heart and a desire for them to know you. Because, God, I, I want them to be a part of your kingdom in the way that I can be, Lord. Let's pray. Father, this study in Acts is a very, um, it is such an incredible account of what your Holy Spirit does in the lives of these apostles, Lord. It is clear that these were people who lived with no regrets. These were people who, uh, who struggled with many of the same things that we struggle with and certainly weren't preaching the gospel in an easy environment. Then, Lord, the reason that they just kept going the reason that Paul just kept going was because of the joy that was found in you and because the more the gospel changed him, the more compelled he was to go, Lord. Father, would you do that very same thing in our church, in our lives, in our families, Lord? Father, for those who are so focused, maybe even on the people um, that they think need to hear the gospel in the community, that they've lost sight of their own families. They've lost sight of their own spouses. They've lost sight of the people right in front of them, Lord. Would you also 
give a heart, Lord. Show us that we're called to disciple the very ones in front of us that we may be amiss, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.